Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Tej Talks podcast. Uh, My book is out. Can you believe it? took me I don't know how many months but I definitely started it quite early in lockdown uh, and thankfully it is now finished. It's an ebook and it is a physical book. I prefer the physical book. Nice satin finish on it as well. Uh, the audiobook is coming. Of course, Tej Talks, it has to come. I'm that guy. Uh, it will be about four weeks. I've got a professional studio book so it's going to be like eggshells, egg things all over the wall. It's going to be great. Um, but lockdown, whatever this is, I can't get into it, so at some point, an audiobook will be coming. It'll be, it'll be coming before Christmas. Maybe I'll do a Christmas launch, you know? The Test Talks audiobook is not just for Christmas, it's for life. But it is out right now. Check the show notes. It's on Amazon. You can go get it. It's also on my website if you want it direct. Some some people want signed copies. Wow. Celebrity? Nah, I'm joking. Uh, right, on today's podcast, we have AJ Shome, who is from Fount Hill Land Planning and Development. Uh, just going to quickly read some some accolades here. Uh, Property Investor Awards 2016 winner, Property Entrepreneur 2018 Deal of the Year, Property Investor Awards 2019 winner, Property Investor Awards 2019 winner. Um, There's a lot. Uh, Him and his business partner Kevin Edge both bring 45 years of experience in other sectors, shall we say. Um, AJ used to be in corporate sales beforehand and is now an experienced property developer. Kevin spent 30 years uh, as an MD of civic construction an experienced property developer. On today's show, we just have AJ joining us. Now, we are talking about developments and their pipeline, which, as you've seen from the title, uh, is pretty, pretty hefty. So I'm looking to get into this kind of stuff, development, planning, uplift, land, etc. Now that I'm living in Hertfordshire, there's lots of land here, that's for sure. So this is a really exciting podcast, and I think it's really inspirational to see kind of how they started and actually how they kind of went straight into the big stuff, which is maybe what most of us don't do. AJ, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hey Tej, nice to be here. Nice to inviting me along. Nice to have you here. You know, I think I first saw you and your business partner at the Property Investor Awards, which was, what, was it last year? I don't even know. Time is just means nothing now, but. Yeah, it was about a year ago. Yeah, yeah, it was about a year ago. Different world back then. Yeah, and then when we could sit next to people, and it was yeah, um, and that, that was a fun event. And I, I, I don't think we spoke on the night, but I was looking through the booklet, and I saw you and your business partner, and I read the story, and I thought this is super interesting. Don't know why it's taken me this long to make this happen, but um, there we are. I'm glad we're here now. We're going to talk today about property development. We're going to talk about the pipeline that you have, which is. If, you know, it, which is huge, um, and I think it's probably one of the biggest pipelines I've had uh, on the podcast. But also, you know, you're going to tell people the reality of it and how it's not always wins, and there are challenges and risks and issues. Um, you know, more money, more problems, as uh, as Biggie once said. So, but, you know, before you got into property, what were you doing? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess my story is a bit. Probably similar in a lot of ways, but uh, but also quite different. So, so my background was always in technology and software. So, um, you know, ever since a very young age, I was always a bit of a techie, really into innovation and tech and things like that. 
Uh, and I kind of went through my life following that path uh, and then eventually got into sales in one of the world's largest software companies, a company called Oracle. Um, and I didn't really know a single thing about property, actually, just, just you know, growing up and living in London, you, you sort of see people making lots of money and doing lots of things in property, but I tended to ignore that and, and just focused on the sales career. Um, and then probably about seven, eight years ago, I did really well um, for Oracle and uh, ended up being their top salesperson in in pretty much the EMEA region and Western Europe the following year. So, so I did really well out of that. And in sales, you, you can you can make a bit of money. So um, I did that. And then I suddenly thought to myself, um, you know, what, what do I do now? Um, do I want to be doing this forever? And, and then I, I sort of discovered property and I thought property is a good place to invest. So I, so I went on uh, the mastermind program, just jumped straight on it. Um, they tried to sort of get me through the funnel and I was like, no, 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 I want to start now. And it was like, why don't you do the one day, the accelerator? And I said, no, 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 just start me now. Get, get me on it now. And I, I paid up and did that 12 months. And uh, and then sort of found myself, you know, intoxicated with the wonderful world of property and, and have pretty much loved it uh, ever since. Um, and, and then we kind of went from there, yeah, into the, you know, and how did you like how did you know you know like what to start with in property because there's 101 strategies approaches methods like how did you know what you wanted to do yeah it's a good i mean that, that that's always the, the thing and then i guess with anyone who's in property right there's always a there's always a sort of a divide between strategies and it i think a lot of that really depends on where you live right so so, you know, we're, we're in the southeast. I've, I've grown up and live in North, you know, I live in North London. I've always kind of been in London. So that kind of determines the type of strategies and things that you could do. But also when I came into this, I think when I was on the mastermind program, we looked at a lot of things around like sort of building a cash flow base and everything else. But because I was uh, a bit young and, and you know, had, a, had an ego and <laughs> had lots of things going on, I, I kind of I, I kind of thought I want to go bigger than this. I don't, I don't really care about a few hundred quid every month with cash flow. I think that wasn't my concern at the time. So, I, I, you know, my first ever deal was was a fairly large title split that was, you know, you know, comfortable six figure um, profit um you know splitting a house into two flats and 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 doing it you know doing that as my first ever deal it was the first time I'd ever bought property first time I'd done anything in property um but but I wanted to go bigger than that and I think what 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 tended to to fixate with me was that because I was in London there wasn't really very high cash flow deals there wasn't a lot of the things you know the strategies that I'd looked at and tested but one thing that really resonated with me was development and uh you know, building things, right? The, the, the bigger side of, of this. And, and, and you know, naturally, I was very attracted to the, the finance side of things. And you could see that you could make big money in development, you know, particularly in and around sort of London where I live, you do see all these big developers and driving the nice cars and all those things. So I, I, I thought, you know, how do I get into this, right? You know, I'm new into property, but how do I, how do I make that jump into the big leagues? And uh, the, because I do a lot of personal development, the clear, the clear way forward was really to find the mentor that's been there, done that, and 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 could help guide me through. And that was that was the big step that I took. You know, following everything I learned on Mastermind, which gave me the foundation. I then went and uh, found a guy called Paul Higgs, who uh, prior to him, you know, he he actually does do mentoring and training today. But this I, I found Paul um, before he he started his program, and I, I guess you could say I was his first ever mentee. Um, 
and uh, really meeting Paul was was probably the biggest, most life changing thing that I've I've had certainly in my business life uh, to date. And and you know since then he he taught us things that we never thought were possible and and really you know we go on from there that that that, that was what really opened everything up for us and and once we were into that i knew that was the way that we were going to proceed mm. and you know do you think at least for you personally meeting paul and having him as a mentor you know had a bigger impact than any cost he would have maybe had yeah i mean the interesting thing is, is Paul, Paul and I are very good friends and, and you know, we've, we've built a very sort of good friend relationship. And I think a lot of where we were in the early days was, you know, I tried to offer Paul as much help and, and, and you know, support as well in, in the things that he was trying to do. So it wasn't really about cost or anything like that. It, 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 you know, our entire business is predicated on Paul being our mentor right and, we, and we, he, he knows that and I, I guess it's something he'll probably never forget uh, let us forget as well but 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 no we, we we're ultimately forever indebted and I think everything that we you know look to do and that I would advise for most people is find 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 a mentor and and you know get them to shine the light for you and and then everything you know opens up from there so it's incredibly valuable it's, it's everything for us. And, you know, how did it kind of work with him? Because you wanted to get into the, the big things. You know, I would say, you know, most people probably take longer or they probably do buy to let, HMOs, conversions, maybe then get into developments. You went kind of straight into it. Now, what was his what was his kind of initial advice to then make that transition? Was there anything in particular he said you need to be aware of or you need to do? I think I think one of Paul's things is is that he always says he wish he'd kept more property. But but no, I think it was it, it, it different. I think what Paul taught us was effectively to tie up land on one pound option agreements. So when you actually look at normal property, it's usually quite capital intensive. You need to to, to raise quite a lot of money. Actually, meeting Paul and, and, and what he taught us, which is the foundation of the business that we have today, is is all about adding value. Right. So 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 it doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, you, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to start small or large or anything. You know, you can go in at it as long as you're adding the right amount of value. And I think Paul taught us how to tie things up with one pound option agreements, add the value through the planning process. Once you've added that value, um, you, you can then take that and do something else with it. You can sell it to another developer. You can, um, you know, remodel that so you can purchase the site yourself with a minimal amount of uplay and then go ahead and actually do a development. So it's all of these things, whereas, you know, I think whilst they seem very big on the surface and they take an extraordinary amount of work, it, it, it's not really a reliance on capital that, that allows you to do these types of deals. It's more the, the, the mindset and the knowledge of how to do them. Interesting. And so, you know, for anyone out there who hasn't done a development before, maybe wants to do one, maybe wants to do 10, how how can they find you know, deals, because a lot of, and I also speak from, you know, just actually doing this like this morning and last night, you know, you go online, you look at Rightmove, you look at Zoopla, you look at any of these portals and really, you know, when it comes to land, at least, you're not really seeing anything. Um, if it is, it's kind of got planning, it's overpriced, it's blah, blah, blah. blah. How should people find really good deals? Um, I mean, it's, it's it's the same as is in all all. I mean, I guess when you look at buying houses, right? You 
you can go on to Zoopla, you can befriend the agents, you can do things that way. But I think when, when, you, when you listen to a lot of podcasts and you listen to a lot of other successful property people, they, they often tell you that, that they found more deals going direct to vendor by doing the, the hard yards, by putting in the legwork. And, you know, I, I, I listen to a lot of, of, of different property people, right, podcasts similar to this one. And, and you do hear that a lot, that, that, for example, when people leaflet an area, that's, that's usually where they found some of their best deals. Um, and it, and I, I just look at it as a, an equation as to how much work you're willing to put in and how much you're willing to do that everyone else isn't able to do or willing to do. Uh, and I think that, that that's just a common principle throughout business, but certainly in property, because if it was easy, everyone would do it. So, you know, from a land perspective, we're very much direct to vendor. Um, you know, we do letters and we approach people specifically in the past. We've gone out knocking on doors and you know really done some some you know things that are very much above and beyond what you'd expect normal people to do it's not just a case of you know flicking through zoopla and going well that's a nice piece of land i'll buy that because if you do that you'll invariably end up in a bit of a trap where you'll probably end up paying far too much for the site and uh, and, and may well come unstuck further down the line mm. And, you know, when it comes to direct to vendor, is it true that it, you know, can be a slog in terms of you send out thousands of leaflets over X many months and you might get a hit or have you found a way to make it more efficient? Yeah, I mean, I guess we've been doing this for five years now um, and, you know, we've developed our own secret sauce to some degree. That's that's to be expected. But 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 yeah, absolutely. It's it's a numbers game. I mean, we 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 don't blanket target you know it's blanket send letters we we're very targeted in what we we're looking for uh, and let's say we we might send a thousand letters we would potentially you know get around about 10 percent so 100 100 leads off the back of that um then we would go and you know we'd qualify a few of those out continue further into the funnel probably strike up about 20 conversations uh, 10 will go into legals, a few more will drop out, a couple will go into planning. And ultimately that, that thousand letters that you sent out originally might end up in one or two concluded deals. Um, but, but I guess my, my background in sales, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of used to living and breathing sort of a funnel uh, and a pipeline of opportunities like that. So that's something that I've brought to the business today is, is sort of managing that pipeline and understanding that, you, you know, you need, you, you need to, do a lot of pipeline generation in order to get that one or two deals at the end of it. And it, you know, it's like a sales role, isn't it? You've got your people, your kind of warm leads, your cold leads, you're bringing them through the funnel, getting them to that kind of end point. So you've obviously got lots of experience of doing that. So I think that's something that a lot of property investors who haven't had sales or like recruitment or, you know, whatever experience lack that kind of, it's normal, isn't it? Like if you've got sales experience to build a pipeline, it's like, it's, it's what you do, right? So I can see how that translates quite nicely across from that. And, you know, when it comes to like finding sites, are you using things like Land Insight and Nimbus or? Yeah, we are. We are actually. I mean, it's interesting because we didn't used to. We were a bit old school, actually. It's funny saying that considering we've only been around five <laughs> years, but we now consider ourselves old school. But um, uh, up until about a year or so ago or two years ago, we um, we, we we did just do a lot of things manually but we, we we actually use nimbus at the moment um and have found it 
really valuable because you know part of our business is is continuous so, so whilst we've got the development side we've also got the land side and the land team is always looking at opportunities so we don't kind of take our foot off the pedal we don't look away from that we're always making that funnel and that machine you know churning out leads looking at opportunities looking for new sites and so on and so forth so Nimbus has has really helped us to uh, to streamline that and and you know get at things a lot quicker and um, you know allows us to sort of manage things as well in, in combination with something called uh, Zoho CRM so that's the other tool that we we use and uh, you know I used to sell CRM systems so I've got a bit of a, a, a and obviously I've used them a lot in in sales so we've got a really comprehensive system that we use um, to kind of manage all of that deal flow and everything else and it's uh, everything kind of goes into Zoho um, and uh, we manage things pretty tightly from there. I think it's super important whether you're doing land, whether you're doing, you know, planning gains, whether you're just doing, you know, buy to lets, you have to have some sort of tracker because you're never going to remember what did you offer on a month ago or, hey, what was that site? What, what was the potential? For you? You're just never, ever going to remember it. And the way to find deals is AFU always follow up. So if you've got Zoho telling you, hey, it's been a month since you messaged them, you know, you can you can do something with that. So, you know, earlier you mentioned um, Paul Higgs teaching you about the one pound option agreements. For people who maybe don't know what these are or have heard about these, could you maybe briefly explain kind of what they are, but also why they are so powerful? Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so basically, the option agreement is an agreement unlike a, a contract of sale which says i will buy your land for 100 pounds an option agreement is is an agreement which is binding in law which gives me as the developer or the or, or the buyer the option to buy at some point in the future so to give an example if i were to approach you Tej, and say um you've got a piece of land it's worth 100 pounds I um, offer you £150 for your land. And you're going to turn around and say, well, that sounds good because it's only worth £100 today. Um, what's the catch? And I'll turn around and I'll say, well, I just need a little bit of time um, to effectively get the planning consent and, and, and do a number of different things to get you to that value of £150. So what we do is we agree to sign an option agreement and that option agreement gives me the option to buy at any time in the next, say, 12 months, your piece of land off you for 150 pounds so you're getting 50 pounds more than what you think the land is worth at the moment uh, and then and then the complex bit comes in so we sign up the option agreements and obviously we would go through you know a really arduous and complicated planning process to add as much value as, as as we possibly can and then maybe at the end of getting the planning consent we uh raise the value to 180 pounds so you're happy because you're getting, you know, and then we would exercise that option agreement. So, so that option agreement, we, we would then say, right, fine, we'll buy that land off you now for 150 pounds as per our agreement. Um, obviously the land is worth 180. So we've made a, a paper profit there of, of, of 30. Um, and, uh, and all that time during that sort of 12 month period, say, we've had the, 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 the certainty that we have the ability to buy that site once we've raised the value of it. And, and the reference to the one pound is really just in any, any sort of contract in law like this needs some form of consideration. And, and often you get landowners asking for 
you know, option fees, well, really, we, we always negotiate them so that it's just one pound. And that's why you refer to it as a one pound option agreement. Uh, and, and there are different, you know, we could we could talk all day about how you get into negotiation of these things. But the key thing is, is that you shouldn't really be paying option fees when you're adding so much value uh, in the eyes of the vendor. And that's why one pound comes into it, because if you're getting 150 for your site that you, you think is worth 100, there's no reason for me to pay you any more than one pound on day one because you're getting so much more further down the line. Mm. So that's kind of how it works. So it's a great way to control an asset, but not actually have to put up a deposit in exchange, complete pay stamp duty, blah, 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 all that stuff. It's, yeah, it's a great way to control an asset. And, you know, I mean, do you get landowners kind of, I mean, is it something that landowners are familiar with and used to, or do you find yourself having to explain it kind of every single time? Uh, it, it varies. Um, Sometimes, I mean, it completely depends on the sophistication of the person that you're talking to. Um, we generally, you know, I, I, we have some guys in the team, so I, I tend not to always get involved in, in these negotiations directly now. Um, but but in the early days, I sound a little bit like Wolf of Wall Street, but in the <laughs> early days, we, we had a, a sort of a, a bit of a sales patter, something that we wrote up that, that was, you know, answers to all the common objections and things like that, uh, that, we, that we used, to, to, you know, to help anyone having these types of conversations uh to position things in the right way but yeah no it completely depends on on the per i mean you deal with all sorts uh, in this and and you know as you heard before from the the funnel that we operate there's a huge amount of um uh, you know variation in the types of people that we meet so yeah it it it, it take usually takes some explaining sometimes people you know sort of just say look I'm just going to leave that with the solicitor sometimes people are uh, a bit more open-minded and can sit and go through it and, and and work with you so so it does it really does vary um, hmm. and you know with these kind of option agreements have you ever before kind of you know taken an option and actually found that you obviously you have the option not to but have you ever found that you didn't exercise the option because planning was refused or there was some other issue yeah <laughs> um it, it, it it's and i guess this this comes more in the sort of early days and the mistakes part of of you know what we could talk about today but but this isn't an easy thing you know what we do as a business is incredibly complicated and and we've we've had a number of, of, of failures up until this date um so, so there are cases where we haven't got planning um and that partly is through our own naivety or getting things wrong planning is, is, is notoriously very complicated and, and difficult and, and remember what we're always trying to do is add huge amount of value so it's not it's not usually the case that when we um, sign an option agreement that the value is is clear if it was clear then the vendor would usually be asking for more money in the first place <laughs> so that analogy I used earlier with 150 well if you think your land's worth 50 and 150 and I give you 150 uh you know there's not much in that whereas if you think it's worth 100 and i give you 150 then there has to be some risk in that for everyone and and the, the risk is is that we don't get planning or or that we can't get it to, to work at 150 so 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 it has happened um you know we've been in a lot of negotiations whereas i would what i would say as our experience has grown considerably we now have a much much stronger appreciation for how 
to get things through planning uh, and we're really really confident to the extent we're now actually some you know in some cases we we may even pay an auction fee because we're that confident of, of where the planning is and what the policies are that will allow us to get something you know get something through but but again all of this comes with experience it's not it this is one thing for sure it's not an overnight thing uh, and it takes years of you know experience building and failing and falling and all, all, all the usual things that come with with learning how to do this kind of stuff mm. and just quickly going back to sourcing there you know when when you're looking for let's say you just say you want to build residential units right so you want to build houses you want to build flats whatever is there are there any kind of general characteristics that you can see on google maps on nimbus whatever or just you know just looking at a site are there any general characteristics that people kind of maybe could have a tick list of that would say okay as a really really preliminary exercise this ticks off you know four things so therefore i think this has some potential or does it vary by council by area by site by everything i would say that that is probably uh too difficult to answer um there's so many different variations in in this i think the important thing is to understand planning policy first and foremost um you know the the amount of times where you see you know i talk to people and they say oh i've got this big green field out here or i've got this plot of land but 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 if it doesn't adhere to any planning policy uh then it all it is 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 what it is which is you know, a nice place for cows to, to graze on and and, uh, and that's about it. So so I think, you know, there's we started this call talking about strategies. Well, within land and, and planning, there is, you know, hundreds of strategies again uh, that you can follow. And, and, and you know, we, we as a business follow ones that, that have worked for us. But it also depends exactly, you know, on your location, how urban you are, you, you know, is, is it is it blocks of flats that you're looking for is it houses is it single plots is it gardens so, so, so there's a huge range of things in there and it would be a bit di- too difficult I mean I you know one thing I would say is is that you know Paul Higgs does do programs that does t- teach people the basics of, of, of what we um, what we learned back in the day um, but then I think beyond that, it's it's just like anything in property. You've got to pick the strategy that works for you in your area, uh, with your appetite for everything else. So, and, and that's kind of that's kind of the thing that takes the time and will probably evolve for for most people. But but if you're interested in it, you've just got to be prepared to be in, in it for the long haul. That's, mm. that's the that's the key thing. And you know your your pipeline at the moment is forty eight million. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And. You said something interesting off air. How long has it taken you to get to the point where you have a pipeline that that big? Yeah, so so so, and it's it almost seems a bit strange saying that because it's, um, but but yeah, it, it's been five years, right? Um, but that particular pipeline we've probably been working on for three years, right? So, so a lot of those, and that's when I say pipeline, that's not just pipeline, that's that's committed pipeline. So that's. So you are building it. You're building that. Well, it's, it's sites that we've got agreement on. We're in planning. The planning is, you know, pretty going to be forthcoming, or we've already got planning for. So, so all, all, all of those are are effectively strong bets. Our, our, our actual pipeline of, of things that you know, most of which probably won't ever happen, is is much larger, and and that 
you know the reason I say that is to kind of emphasize the, the breadth of the pipeline and how 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 wide a net you need to cast in order to to create you know 48 mil of, of actual committed pipeline so so there's a lot that goes into it and yeah it's it's, it's taken years and years uh, this is the the year when a lot has come together though uh, and all of our experience and everything else has, has really sort of culminated in a really solid set of opportunities which you know 21 and 22 we're going to go out there build them and and uh, you know really grow the business beyond anything that we, we we thought possible a couple of years ago and you know having a pipeline of that size is is quite hefty and there's, there's a lot of moving parts to manage right so could you tell us maybe about like how your company is structured and, and how many people you have kind of doing different bits and how it's split? Because I think it'd be really useful for people to understand, you know, right, how do you actually balance all of this stuff? Sure, yeah. So so I guess we started out uh, primarily as a land. So I started the company as a, as a, as a land company and uh, uh, had, a, had a few people work closely with him I actually ended up working with, with my best friend at the time who's, who's still with us today um, uh, and uh, he primarily is is the guy that that does a lot of the legwork around the sourcing go, going out and doing the, the sort of visits and, and meeting people um, but then as uh, over the last sort of year or so we, we've kind of grown the team we, we tend to use contractors uh, as much as possible um, and so we've got our own sort of, we call them in, I mean, in theory, they're in-house architects, but they're on a contract basis. We've got an in-house solicitor, again, on, on a sort of contract basis, and they're, they're sort of approved to work with us by the SRA. So, so we've got a number of different sort of people who, who we contract to, but, but effectively form part of the day-to-day -day team. Uh, and, and they're required, obviously, to, you know, certainly on the land side, Keep, keep all these things progressed, do, do all our due diligence, get things through planning. Um, you know, the, on the planning side, that's probably where I tend to take it, uh, you know, a bit more um, of the heavy lifting. We use planning consultants at times as well, um, but but it's all very sort of moving feast. But we've, we've, you know, you hear a lot about power teams and I think we um, are very focused on that every year. We kind of review our power team and, and look at the company structure and, and, and try and fill that out. And then I guess the interest, the other interesting bit here is, is that we, we're talking a lot about land, but mainly because that's the part of the business that I look after. But, but then of course, you, you know, a huge part of this is, is development. And that's where Kevin Edge, who's, who's my business partner for the last couple of years, comes in because he, he, he's, you know, for 30 years, he ran a very successful design and build company. Uh, in St Albans, you know, he, he he's been in in that trade and in development and building pretty much his his uh, his entire life. So, what he's doing on his side is is also really really interesting, and he he's he's building out a, a really sort of comprehensive and thorough development arm, which includes all the you know the usual suspects, the QSs, and the various different people that that you would have building a, a, a you know construction and development arm of this business. So really, in terms of structure, we, we do keep things fairly separate. It's We've got the land team, which I look after, and then Kevin looks after the development team. And, and then we've got this sort of like a Venn diagram. We've kind of got this bit in the middle where things cross over, and, that, and that's the bit that we try and work on uh, as much as possible, uh, you know, getting the right kind of processes when things get handed over to developments. You know, there's a lot that has to go into that. 
and and I guess one of the unique things about doing things the way we do we do it is is that because we're sourcing our own pipeline and creating our own pipeline we're also designing right from the outset before we go into planning in order to make sure that we get everything right for the actual development and it's a very different thing you know development design and build design and everything else when you're when you're doing um you, you know designing for a development often you, you don't design appropriately enough in the planning phase because people you know developers buy sites that have already got planning so with us it's really important that we have sort of end-to-end -end communication about what we want to go in at the planning stage because that is ultimately what we're going to go out and build at the end and that's a, a bit of a USP. It's a bit of an advantage of the way we do things. Yeah, sure, it might take three or four years before we see any profit because we're sourcing it, getting the planning, doing the development, selling the units, all that. And that takes years, right? But ultimately, it, it means we work at a higher margin, uh, have better protected deals, much, you know, a much reduced risk profile because our deals are high margin and, and they're protected by that planning game. Um, and, and they're designed well right from the off because we're communicating before they go into planning exactly what we want to build at the end of it. Mm. That's a really good point there, you know, taking three to four years to make profit. People don't want to hear that. People want to kind of hear the Facebook ads saying, hey, build a house in six months and make a hundred grand. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah, sure. Maybe, you, you know, you can do that. But the kind of level you're working at here and, you know, the size of pipeline, things do take time. And, it's important that people hear that, but you said there about protecting your you know investments because of the planning game, because of the design. Um, now, obviously, coronavirus exists, and you know it's you know saving opinions aside, it's it's causing issues for a lot of people. It's causing issues for businesses, for people being able to borrow money, you know their savings. It's causing a lot of financial difficulty, I suppose. Now. You've obviously got a huge pipeline that's, you know, continuing. What are your thoughts on how coronavirus will affect your type of business and if it has so far? So I, I, I think it's a really interesting time and obviously nobody really knows. Um, so, so, you, so you have to, you know, formulate your views. We're, we're generally very open minded as, as, as a business. We meet a lot, have board meetings, talk about these these kind of things. And I think the general consensus is, is that um given the amount of government stimulus that's going on quantitative easing and, and everything else what tends to happen in, in in those times is that is that all that money is created and pumped into the system and it, it tends to one way or another cling to assets so the, the, you know the, the really devastating thing is is that people who who rely on cash um which is you know the majority of, of, of working people that value of that cash will go down and the gap between the rich and the poor will increase. Now, now, you know, obviously when it comes to our business, we are in the business of assets. So, so you know, in, in certain terms, I think our view is, is, is in the short term is fairly bullish because there's a huge amount of capital suddenly being pumped into the markets. Obviously, some of it's to fill the hole. Um, but then some of it isn't. So, so there has been a spike in capital. Interest rates have come down. So, 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 so in some ways, when you look at the fundamental indicators, the, the fundamentals for property are actually quite, quite good at the moment. I think the problem will come. And, and, and again, it's not like I've been in property 
for decades and decades, but I have read a lot about this and I have a real sort of fascination for the market cycles and everything else. I think that that actually, you know, probably the next few years are going to be quite robust, but there is something impending um, on the horizon, you know, and often that would, would come when either finance locks up or, or interest rates go through the roof or something like that. So there's going to be some form of trigger that's going to create, I think, something rather problem, problematic. And these are the things that we talk about as a business all the time. Uh, and I think, you know, we will try and follow that cycle and, and pivot at the right time. Um, and I think, you know, it's probably worth mentioning now, I think the overall goal of our business, I mean, currently today, we, we only do what we call mid-market property. So property aimed at everyday working people in commuter areas of London. Um, you know, we've had a spike, you know, the stamp duty changes have obviously helped us. It meant we sold sort of nine properties in, you know, in a matter of weeks. Uh, and we're not kidding ourselves that, that that was a lot easier due to that. But also the fact that a lot of our sites are, you know, houses and houses with gardens and often in, in quite nice places. So. So the lockdown has helped us with that. And, and again, a lot of the pipeline is in these sort of fairly desirable areas, slightly more outside of London uh, than, than in it. Um, and, and I think, you know, the future direction of our, our, our company is, is to look more into the affordable side of things. So at the moment, we're focused very much on mid-market. But I think as time goes on and the market is, you know, and we're talking years, we always tend to talk long term, but... Um, in a few years when the market does start to get a bit frothy again and everything else I think we want to really start to focus on whether the challenges within the UK housing market which is the affordable end and affordable housing and, and, and that kind of area and that's that's kind of what we want to scale into as a business so we've got the next two years of, of growth which you know we're looking at this as I said we've got the sort of 48 million of committed pipeline that we're going to get through but then towards that kind of time frame I think we're going to try and pivot and start to do more towards the affordable housing program and, and do that at scale. Mm. And you know let's let's share some figures with people because I know they're gonna they're just sitting there listening to this thinking oh tell us the juicy stuff so you know could you share maybe a case study of, of one of the developments you've done? Yeah, sure. I mean, so we've got um, probably the, the the best one is, is is to talk about might be the one that won the property investor award. So so that was a a site situated in the green the green belt. And I think you know wrapping this all up into a summary, this was a very much a win 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 win. Lots of wins for everyone, um, which it might not sound to you when you look at you know the profitability and the success that we enjoyed in it. But, but, but I think the key thing about this particular deal is, is that it, it, it was right for everyone. And that's why it was so successful. And so, so you said it was Greenbelt. Um, for people yes. who don't know what that is, what does that mean? So, so, so the Greenbelt is, in, so back in the day, um, when people could just kind of build anywhere, um, you know, cities just started to expand and people were just throwing up houses everywhere. So what they did is they put this policy 50 odd years ago that simply put a ring around a lot of the metropolises and said, no one is allowed to develop in here, except for within very special circumstances. And that's what the Greenbelt is. It's notoriously the hardest place to get planning. Um, and it's usually the edge of a metropolis. So London, in, in this case, it's the London Greenbelt or London Metropolitan Greenbelt. 
So uh, green belt's really difficult to get planning in. And, and, and again, that's, that's why, you know, when you look at this, you, you this site, so it's, just, it's a disused scaffolding site in, in the middle of the green belt. Um, it was, uh, you, you know, pretty much run down, derelict, wasn't being used, uh, but it was in the green belt. So, so the opportunity for redevelopment was seemingly quite slim on the outset. So we, uh, again, using our, our normal marketing you know, situation, spotted the site, went out, lettered, met, met with the owner, talked them through you know, what, it, what they wanted to achieve, what did they want to do, um, and uh, what, what they would want out of it. And they um, kind of wanted to retire, right? They wanted to get out. They wound the business down years ago, felt a little bit stuck and wanted to move forward. So, so we, we said, look, we, we came up with an appraisal of what we thought we might be able to do. They worked in partnership with them, signed them up on the one pound option um, and uh, signed them up for a purchase price of 1.1 million, which at the time was, was, was an extraordinary amount of money for effectively a derelict scaffold yard in the middle of nowhere with in the middle of the green belt with, with no prospect of getting any residential planning. But through the stuff that we learned, you know, through Paul and, and, and the other guys that, that we've sort of met since then in our experience, we, we recognised that there would have been an angle. So long story short, we got really involved in the planning side of things, um, you know, got the community involved, met with the parish council, local conservators, um, you know, planning committees, lots of different things. Uh, and eventually got consent or planning consent for nine um, three bed detached houses on that site. Um, and, and the thing about that is, is that the, the nine three bed detached houses raised the value of that land. So whilst we had the option to buy it at 1.1, we had a bricks valuation value the land at 2.15. Mm-hmm. So it's just over so hold a million on. pound in planning gain. The, there was a million pound, okay, how much did it cost you to get planning approved? So to, <laughs> um, normally uh, you would expect a planning application like that to cost around about 50,000. But uh, in this case, it cost us 16,000 because of, we did a lot of uh, heavy lifting and things ourselves. Wow. So, you know, 16K to get a mill uh, and, that's, and that's a RICS verified mill. Um, that's, you know, is this, a unicorn or are these deals common well uh, the funny thing i mean unicorns are, are possible but 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 the bit that you you can't hear on you know a two minute summary is the extraordinary amount of work both prior to this deal and coming up and in doing this i mean we nearly lost this deal three times for various different reasons and and, and literally on the on the day of completion when we when we bought it 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 it, it um they, uh, the, they, the funder refused to draw down the funds because of some issue with the access that we'd already been through. Uh, they, they skipped the time frame, pushed us out of the option period, and the vendor could have actually just walked away right at that point in time, and and just said, look, you've, you've, you know, the, the site's a lot more valuable now, and and we would have, we would have lost that because he had every right in the world not to sell us that site because we. We'd, we'd gone over the completion date but again it, it, the, the power of sort of relationship and doing the right thing um meant that the whole thing kind of held together and we did manage to get it through but but yeah i mean this was this is you know we haven't even talked about the build side yet but just in the land side it's 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 
it's possible of course it's possible i mean it won us a, a you know a national award so so it's not it's not something that happens every single day um but but there's a lot that goes into it and, and the world is full of you know situations where people work very very hard at things you know add a lot of value create win-win-wins for everyone including you know the ecology department the, the planning department the local power you know there's so many factors that go into this um so when you really sort of boil it all up and you, and you look at actually what we've managed to achieve there it, it it's possible you know a lot, a lot of it's about mindset um but but really we we've created that value we've taken risk as well so certainly you know whilst it might sound like yeah it's only 16 grand but 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 there's also our time and energy and everything else right this took over a year to to get through planning uh and you know it probably had an impact on all our health as well so so yeah you know i can't really labor that enough the, the numbers sound fantastic but it, but it's extraordinarily you know hard work and you have to add a huge amount of value to, to make things like this happen mm, and you know, as you said, kind of before, green belts are notoriously difficult to get planning on. They're there and they're protected for a reason. You know, why, why slash how did they allow you to do this? When I guess that you know that you know the whole point of it is to keep it green. Yeah, I mean, so there are exceptions, right? So there's there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sort of a national policy and there's local policies. So the MPPF, which is the national policy, does have some exceptions for development in the green belt now. All this comes down to is, is your skill in negotiating. I mean, it's interesting because obviously my background's in sales. So, you know, I, I get a, a nice opportunity to sit down with somebody and, and, and really work through, again, this is sort of win-win-win nature. It's, it, it's kind of what I always did in my sales career. And it's, it's kind of what we're doing now in the planning world is, is that you, you know, look at the policies, find the policies that are most aligned to what you're trying to achieve. And then negotiate them, position them in, in, in a way. So, so I think something that Paul always used to say is, is that planning is off about two things, is, is the policy, you know, being policy compliant and then sales and marketing, you know, being able to sell your idea and sell your planning application. And I think that's the, you know, that's the key thing here is, is that there are policies that do allow you to develop in the green belt, but uh, you know you need to be able to package those and sell those convincingly and compellingly to the person that, that you know is going to decide on the case and the same to the, the parish and the same to you know the, the the planning committees and so and so forth so there's a lot of people to persuade with that but but again that's all part of the vision and, and the thing that you set out to do in the first instance mm. and you know you said before about it being you know extraordinarily hard work i think that's only compounded by the fact that there's so much relying on other people you know you can negotiate you can be the best negotiator in the world but if the council vote against it if the plan is being a dick if, if this that and the other you know i suppose it sometimes is out of your control and that's quite stressful and hard for us to especially as entrepreneurs when we're like no no, no we can control everything it's all in our, it's all our fault it's all we're accountable for it but sometimes you can't you know account for other people right it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's a really good point as well, because because I've always been entrepreneurial and, and I often think to myself, have I picked just about the worst place to exercise my <laughs> entrepreneurial passion? Because because it is so inconsistent and it is really, really like challenging because you're right. So you, you, you work with the planning officer, the planning officer's behind it. Then all of a sudden it goes out to public consultation. 
you know, one of our sites, we had a, a big land assembly of, of you know, oh, it, was, it was a backland development in North London and, and uh, it got hundreds, hundreds of objections. It got people canvassing the streets. You had Theresa Villiers, the MP for the area, writing up things during the election time. Um, it was in the newspapers and everything, right? And, and when that, you know, you get that huge amount of pressure, loads of people against it. And it was a really good skit. It was a really good use of land. And it was, I think it was, you know, really positive for that area. And now it's built and it's there. It, 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 it's showing that fact. But, but the, the nature is, is that planning is, is often very, very negative. And, and that's why, you, you know, norm, normally in business, you have partners and people that work with you towards an end goal. All too often in planning, it feels like it's the other way. But, but that's part of the strategy. That's part of what we do as a team is that we, we always, you know, now that we've had the experience of going through one or two, getting our fingers burnt on a few occasions, we can now sit there and say that what's going to happen further down the line? What's going to happen when this goes out to public consultation? And, and what, you know, what's just around the corner? And having that sort of foresight allows us to then say, well, actually, this one might just make sense. We're just going to go straight to appeal on this. Because the appeal is a you know a different set of people, it's a different kind of model. It's, it's something which is a bit more adherent to the policies and things like that. So so you can play it in different ways, but it, but it's a hugely important point that, that that you know planning is just incredibly inconsistent. And to say it's a broken system is an understatement. Unfortunately, it, it, it is, and it, it 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 you just have to keep keep working at it and, and use as much strategic nows as possible to, to to find your way through it at times. So that's all that can be really said for it. Yeah, planning definitely has multiple, multiple issues. I mean the councils themselves like still using fax machines and dinosaurs. So yeah, it's um if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's um you know, I always have so much admiration for people who do land and planning because I'm just like, oh, you are an absolute soldier to deal with councils and planning on a regular basis like you know so much respect for that so you know going back to this deal and you mentioned the build um was that easy straightforward done in done in a month happy days oh god so (laughs) so so uh, i mean at the time this was the biggest development of its type that we we'd done uh you know and this is sort of more kevin's side of the business because it deals deals with the development and, and kevin's an extremely experienced you know, builder and developer. Um, but but what was interesting about this site was is that it, it, it you know there's certain things that we just missed off on the due diligence, which we'll never ever do again, incidentally. Uh, and and you know the biggest part of all of this is the learning. But but it's just it's just things like the drainage. So so it's pretty obvious that where, where the Olymp- effectively where the Olympic rowing. Uh, you know the Lee Valley area, so so it's it's not too far from that, and that's where the the Bleeding Olympics, you know, were held because of the amount of water in that area, and, and we 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 just didn't, you know, you look at a picture of our site, and the water runs off this hill straight through our site into effectively the Lee Valley, and and, and none of us really spotted that at the time, and didn't, in, in, we were just so eager to 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 get the deal done and, and get on site and get you know get going, we didn't consider that actually the drainage on that site would need to be so extraordinary and and that cost us you know fairly dearly uh, and we made a few other you know individual mistakes as well but but fundamentally all, all, all of these different little mistakes that we made did end up meaning that, that that we were a bit delayed and then obviously just as we're about to go on market the uh the um the covid restrictions came along and, and and that kind of blew us out of the water again so so we really got 
uh, into a lot of trouble with that. But uh, uh, and, and you know, one one thing after the other, it's just it's just non-stop issues. But you you get through it, and uh, I think most importantly, what we've found in this case is is that we're really sort of built out a system so we do quarterly business reviews as a business and, and every time we we go through in detail lessons learned uh, and not just sort of going through the lessons learned we actually build them into a system and this is something that kevin's been sort of building for the last year or so is is, is a really sort of thorough operating model for the development side of the business that includes things like you know check the drainage and and, and the process that you you go through in order to, to satisfy that because there's lots of things in development that that you know you can go to a bank and you can you can get loans and you can do all that but but the banks don't do the due diligence for you they do their due diligence and they get their personal guarantees and everything else to do their bit but but there is there is a lot of extra things that you should always do so we've got really comprehensive checklists and, and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been really, really challenging, but but obviously, you know, we're sold out now. It's overall a very successful deal. And I think it's created an amazing platform for everything else that we're doing. Amazing. Are you year. able to share the end GDV? So the end GDV, so, so um, the end GDV was, was about 200k greater than uh, what we had originally predicted so we try to be good conservative but that's always nice i mean wow. usually people come under uh it was 5.49 um and the overall profit was uh just under 1.6 now question what makes you um build the site out instead of just taking the planning gain profit <laughs> so this is I mean, I guess it comes down to what where you wanted to be and where we wanted to be. I mean, we've got 15, 10, five, three-year goals, right? So we've, we've got we're pretty focused on goals. And I think a couple of years ago, I went, it kind of dawned on me that just being a land person, you're at the mercy of a lot of things, and you're also leaving you, you you're leaving you know money on the table. And I I just, I just thought to myself, the best thing you can really do is if you make a margin in planning, you can carry that margin over into the development and do a much more insulated development. So it makes it easier to, to raise money for the development because it's a more secure development, right? There's, there's more buffer in there because you've already put your margin into the deal. So you've got, you, you can raise less, you can, it's a much more secure development and it really protects the downside. And I think, you know, my desire always from the outset was to go out and build. And this was the best way of doing it, because if you made if you added value up front, so, for example, using the, 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 the deal that I just talked about, OK, it would cost about 16 grand to get the planning consent. Um, but but actually, you know, that million pound of, of planning gain is a buffer that we used in the development. It then meant that when we went into the development, you know, we didn't really have to raise money. Uh, to, to go into the development because we'd already created a huge amount and it meant we could make mistakes as well like we did you know with the drainage so the drainage did cost us uh, a fair you know a fairly significant amount right off that number so our projected profit is lower than what it was but we had to deal with a few things in that and 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 that's the kind of thing that you know doing you know doing it the hard way but doing it the long-term way and putting the hard yards in in the planning side allowed you to then Go into the development and protect that risk. So, so, so it's it, 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 you know, I guess it's an overall desire 
to want to be a developer and to actually build things and change the world around us and do things physically in the world but also the fact that that you know you it just seemed like a really good model it was a great way to get into it so so that's kind of why we don't sell sites now and our goal is to build them out i like that now when it comes to financing these sites i know there's some really creative and interesting stuff you can do with uh development finance especially if you've added value with planning games so i mean i guess as a general principle you know do you have a kind of standard way of purchasing adding value refinancing how do you generally structure your deals with development finance or private investors or however you do it honestly the answer is probably no uh, and that is something that we're, we're working on so, so, so we do we, we do things in different ways um we uh, certainly that is a big goal of ours also for 20, 2021 is, is is to create more of a standardized way in which we buy sites because we do think i mean previously we've used our own money um we've used uh we're a member of a SAS pension club as well which has been really creative and that's been a really sort of valuable way of 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 getting things to move forward and that's something that we're you know planning to work with a lot in the future um we, we've done you know creative things with the various different tranches of you know senior mayors and various other things like that so that's probably a bit complicated for for, for a lot of people on the call but but really um it, it, it's a bit different to property when, when you're dealing with with development lenders it's 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 kind of different to sort of buy to lets and commercial mortgages and things like that um it's probably a lot more intense as well so you know would certainly if you're doing your first ever development i wouldn't underestimate um the intricacies and, and how pedantic and and you know detailed uh the lender's solicitors will be compared to say buying a buy to let or something like that or block a flat you know this is this is a whole different level um but in there there, there are sort of opportunities for doing things a bit more creatively um but really everything's about risk isn't it so so when you when you look at this you know we've got planning gain in there we can demonstrate that the risk is lower which means that you can kind of negotiate different things you can get um investors to 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 invest to plug any gaps in the funding because they know that you know compared to a normal development deal there's there's extra risk and security in there mm, that makes sense and you know, kind of a lot of, well, I assume everything you do is buying the kind of site, let's call it raw, with no planning, a bit of mud. You go through that hard work of putting the planning on it, adding that value. Have you ever, slash, would you ever buy a site with full planning? Or is there a general trend that they don't usually work for what you're doing? Um, I mean, everything is about the numbers. Uh, I, I think the only time we would ever buy a site with planning is if we, if we thought there was a clear way of optimising that planning doesn't really work with our model and, and obviously all the effort and energy that we put into creating our business is, is focused on adding value through planning that's the cornerstone of what we do so um i think i think you know it's probably not what everyone wants to hear uh, but 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 the reality is is you know development sites are usually pretty hot property right so there's a lot of developers out there that that want to develop and and usually someone who needs you either get an experienced developer who wants to keep their team moving um who will pay more for a site than everyone else i.e they've got a team they're moving off a project they don't want to lose their team they haven't got a site so so they just want to keep 
the ball, you know, keep the cash moving, keep the team working, and they buy a site for over the odds. Or you get inexperienced people who, who don't quite know what they're doing. They're desperate to do a site. They see various things. They don't have the experience to appraise it properly, and then they buy it. But but either way, we wouldn't want to be competing with either of those two types of people. So uh, that 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 I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you mean open market. Um, so, so that that's the reason why we wouldn't do open market because it's naturally um, it, it's it's you're never going to get the right kind of deal and, and that's 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 not what what we're in it for. Um, yeah, that's yeah, it. That makes sense. And uh, as we reach near the end of the of the podcast, what are the biggest three mistakes you think you've made individually or you know as a as a company in your in your property experience so far? Right. Uh, so I, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say both on the land and planning side is sufficient due diligence. So, so we're all, you know, the core team here, we're all, I don't know if anyone does wealth dynamics, but we're all sort of supporters, creators, dynamos, blazes. So we're, we're, we're very big picture as, as a team, you know, the core team anyway. And, and, and we all, you know, got a lot of energy to go out and do things. But one thing that we've, not really been very anchored to is due diligence so so i think you, you know we, we need to do a lot more and it's, it's something that we definitely do now but 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 not doing the due diligence every single time and just taking the plunge um you know it, it is probably one of the biggest mistakes um and, and and that's you know you've always got to do your due diligence always 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 never go with the gut you know always do it um and then I think the other thing is is, is, is probably cash flow management. You know, as, as you can hear, a lot of the things we talk about here take years, right? Um, you've got to manage your cash flow and, and manage, you know, that side of things very, very well. Um, development particularly is, is, is a very, you know, people talk about feast and famine and it's very true, right? There's some big numbers there, but you've got to get to those numbers uh, alive. <laughs> and, <laughs> I like and, and that. that yeah, and, and, and that's that's it, you, you know, in reality. So, so we've had a lot of challenges with, with cash flow and not managing it properly. Um, and again, we've learned from that and we've put in place some really robust things. Um, and then I, I guess, you know, any other mistakes are, prob- well, similar to cash flow is, is not building a cash flow stream first. So, so the only thing, this is a personal thing, is, is that I, I only really bought my first investment properties uh, last year after you know seven seven years of sort of being in property and being in the game uh and, and i thought you know it was i was i just wanted to go for the big stuff and get really into it and actually regrettably i wish i'd just bought just a you know just a small foundation of, of buy to lets or something to, to keep uh to build a bit of a foundation so so, so that's you know build, building a cash flow foundation i think is, is highly recommended um, I think I jumped straight in at the deep end and now, only now am I sort of looking back thinking, right, I need to to, to start doing normal things in properties and I've got my first tenants and, you know, all of this stuff now, which is, is, is a bit weird for people who know me because sort of, I'm trying to learn about the basics of, you know, just renting a property out. And uh, on the other hand, I'm doing all this other stuff, you know, over here. So so it's, it's yeah, I think that's definitely a big recommendation. Get your, get your finances in order. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I've definitely been guilty of like the, the cash flow issues, and you know, even on buy to lets when you're when you're scaling quickly and money's going out and in and out, you you really need to keep track of it, or you know, hire someone to keep track of it. What is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given? <laughs> oh God, um, single best piece of advice, life advice, Probably, health, anything. Yeah, I mean, well, there's, I've, I've had, I mean, you know, I'm a massive sucker for personal development, but I'd, I'd probably say in this context, uh, be contrarian, try to find niches, uh, do things differently from the mainstream, uh, and I think you know, often when you know we're all emotional creatures and we do tend to get this sort of shiny penny syndrome um, from time to time. And I think the, the kind of advice that, you know, the, the kind of things that I pick up from Burton, the kind of thing that tends to flag in my head is is, is always try and look at things differently, do things a bit differently. If, if, you know, everyone's going in one direction, you know, see what the options are for doing something completely contrarian to that. Uh, and that's usually where the most rewards are. Love that. Um, and lastly, you know, a lot of people get into property for financial freedom, spend more time with their kids to go on holidays, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Is there one thing in particular, good or bad, that property has given you or allowed you to do? Oh, um, it's allowed me to do. To, to, I mean, I, my, my dream was always to, to run and be involved in sort of entrepreneurialism and business so, so that's probably the biggest thing is it's given me sort of a, an open road uh, of of just opportunities and, and that was something I you know I, as I said I started life in tech and had different startups and various other things whereas when I found property I actually found something that was very tangible and workable that, that, that just gave opportunities in, in so many different ways um, and, and I think you know, I mentioned earlier that I haven't built up my own personal sort of cash flow. Uh, yeah, I've sort of gone in at the top of the pyramid rather than building the foundation. Um, but but I can certainly see over the, you know, one good thing is, is that I've got capital enough to, to make that cash flow foundation fairly quickly over the next year or so. And I think once I have that, that, that will be an extraordinary uh, change in, in my life, knowing that, you know, myself and my family are, are secure um through through sort of cash flow and, and then that will free me up to really think about how we grow our core business more and more without having to worry about you, you know without having to worry about our day-to-day -day life and my family's uh you know lifestyle so yeah no it's, it's, it's a phenomenal area and, and it's it's funny because because life is all about the sort of decisions and things that you make you, you know and i never thought for my entire life that up until seven years ago that I would ever be in in property uh, and then when it when it when it clicked that day uh, and I just remember sort of looking at all the different opportunities that uh, you know it was just fantastic so I love that AJ this has been awesome thank you so much for coming on the podcast I will put all of your contact details and links in the show notes for everyone to get hold of you very good been a pleasure thanks very much Tej awesome if you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.